Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. Back from Blueprint, refreshed and ready to go. I know. Big, big star at Blueprint. One of the stars at Stiefel, Brian, I, I, for all our listeners out there, I was walking around with Brian a little bit out there and, I mean, mobbed. I mean, we're, we, we've definitely got to build in some security in the budget for next year, without a doubt. Uh, well, all joking aside, it was a great event. Um, you know, it was my first blueprint since uh, moving over from the KBW platform to the Stiefel platform um, and getting to interact with uh, a lot of advisors from around the country. So uh, um, a shout out to everybody who I got to meet for the first time and looking to, forward to doing more of those. And it was a lot of fun. And you, and you guys, along with uh, our chief equity strategist, Barry Bannister, and our chief economist, Lindsay Piegza, and Michael O'Keefe, our chief investment officer, you guys did a great job with the Stars of Stiefel panel, I thought. Um, a lot of good, actionable information for our advisors. So thank you for participating in that. Always a pleasure. Now, I know this is not a video podcast, this is audio only, but I do have the pleasure of being able to see Brian. And Brian is in his Yankee cap today. Um, I, I think it's a combination of, you know, being a Yankee fan and also not wanting to be recognized on the streets um, as one of the stars of Stiefel. But it's a big, it's a big game five. I mean, we're recording this the morning of game five. So how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't really felt all that great since game three where the you know, I think Aaron Boone just mismanaged the the bullpen. Um, the bats have been quiet. You know, part of that's been good Cleveland pitching. Um, but you know, the Yankee bats will go quiet from time to time, and they have been. Um, so, cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, the Yankees pen is probably in a better spot than they would yeah. have been yesterday. Um, right. A couple of their key relievers got an extra day rest, which they needed. Um, Cleveland's pen was already uh, the, the 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 stars of their bullpen were already rested and ready to go for a game five. So I think it gives a little bit of advantage to the Yankees um, that, that uh, compared to playing last night. Um, but um, no, I mean, you know, it's it's a crap shooting, you know, in a winner take all. So you never know. I think the extra day will benefit the Yankees for sure. The only people I don't think it benefits are the 40 plus thousand people that were, that were at the game yesterday for three hours before they decided to call it. Uh, those yeah, folks yeah. might be a little exhausted to come back, but yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, base major league baseball is always going to try and get the game in. Um, and they don't want to, they, my understanding is they prefer not to start a game knowing that there's a rain delay coming yeah. in a, in a yeah. playoff situation. You can do that in the regular season, but in, in because you can do an official game after five, uh, five innings. It doesn't work in the postseason. So I understand um, how they went about it. Um, I think just as a fan sitting at home, much less the stadium, the lack of updates yeah. on the situation was um, was frustrating. Well, because I think they gave a lot of indications that they would try and get the game in. Yes. And, and look, you know, I, I was looking at the weather earlier in the evening and it did look for a while like the rain might stay west uh, of of New York City for a while and they would be able to get the game in. It just didn't work out that way. But it was the lack of communication, the lack of updates. That was the most frustrating part of it. Yeah. Now we've added, by the way, weather into the podcast. 
Well, it's a yeah. podcast. We do sports, we do weather, and occasionally we do politics too. Um, I will say though, I'm not, as you know, and every, all of our regular listeners know, I am by no means a Yankee fan. I'm not even really an American League fan, but gosh, I was watching that Monday night football game last night and God, I wish that I would have had baseball because that was as unwatchable a football game as I've seen in a long time. Uh, can't comment on that because I, I, I didn't see it. Um, it but all I know is, I, and I can't believe I'm about to say it. My Giants are five and yeah. one. Yep. Um, your team, the Jets, are four and two. Yep. Um, they're not even getting the back page in New York on the New York tabloids because the Giants and and the Yankees, uh, obviously. Yeah. But um, but uh, no, I mean the, the Yankees and the and the uh, excuse me, the Giants and the Jets won uh, on Sunday for uh, at the same time. It's the third time that's happened this season, and you'd have to go back a really, really long time to find a season yeah. where both teams won on the same day three times in that season. Yeah, I mean, I don't it, it just I'm hasn't happened in a very long time. Yeah, since I'm only in my 20s, I don't really think I'm old enough to remember the last time that's happened. So, yeah, so like when you, you get a little older and, and accumulate that institutional knowledge, then you'll be able yeah. to tap into your internal database um, automatically. Yeah. Well, the game last night was horrible. You missed absolutely nothing. You know I'm a big fantasy football guy. I'm in two leagues. One game was already won by me, so I didn't have to worry. But my other game, all I needed was 11 fantasy points from Justin Herbert, and he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So I lost in that league. Which I, 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 I hate to interrupt this, but would, would you actually like to talk about politics in the markets yeah. a little bit? Okay. okay. So we talked about, well, how about this? I have a, a I could segue into politics with a sports analogy. And I know we want to talk about the midterms because we've got like about three weeks or so till election day. And my thought, and I'd be curious to hear your reaction is that the Democrats, which were in a pretty strong position earlier in the summer um, in terms of how they were going to fare in the election, like the Mets may have peaked way too early. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, I kind of used a, a, a Yankee analogy to that uh, a, a couple of times because when it was June and July, I'm like, well, the Yankees and the Republicans, they can't blow this. And then you got to August and they both started blowing it. Um, uh, and then in September, things stabilized. And so, um, yeah, the, the red wave, which seemed to lose steam over the summer, it's regaining its strength. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, the, the Democrats had taken a lead uh, for the first time in months in the uh, generic congressional ballot, which is the, the question that I look at um, real clear politics as an average of these polls, which party are you going to um, vote for in the upcoming elections? And, and it's a good barometer. It's not perfect, but it's a good barometer for house races because you can't poll 435 individual house races. Even the, the competitive races are too numerous and it's too expensive to do. But any, anyway, um, that generic poll, it's reversed itself. So Republicans are now up in the uh, real clear politics average by a little over two points, almost two and a half. Um, there's been a three and a half point swing towards Republicans um, in the last month. So you know, estimates of how many House seats Republicans might gain, it's, it's been fluctuating. Um, I've kind of been in the 15 to 25 seat camp. Um, but based on recent trends, um, I think you know, chances are growing that Republicans are going to reach the upper end of that range, maybe, wow. maybe exceed them. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, I always go back and, and remind people um, that, look, you know, Republicans won 13 seats in 2020, which is very unusual when you're losing the White House to a first term president that you 
gain house seats. First time in, in a long time. Um, but, you know, uh, then I go back and, you know, the, the saying that people have in the markets, the trend is your friend. That applies to politics, too. And right now, the trend is the friend of Republicans. Yep. Now, that's for sure. Now, we've talked uh, a lot in previous episodes about the Senate, which is a which was a lot harder to handicap. And the Republicans, um, you know, were not maybe as in, in good a shape. Um, how is that changing? What, what do you think about the Senate now? So I think the way I think about it is the range of scenarios, possible outcomes, that's that's shrunk. Uh, you know, possible outcomes had kind of been from Democrats picking up a seat to Republicans picking up two seats and people who roll their eyes about Democrats winning a seat. And I keep reminding them, 2018, um, Democrats won 40 House seats and flipped the House, but they lost two Senate seats. So don't think this doesn't happen if, if you're of that mindset. But anyway, that's kind of the range. D plus one to R plus two. Um, I, I think the chances of a Democratic gain are less likely now. Um, Republicans are leading in their efforts to flip the race in, in the seat in Nevada, um, although there hasn't been a ton of recent polling there. I got to believe the national trend, which I, which we just talked about, that can't help the incumbent Democrat, Senator Cortez Masto. Um, now, if Nevada flips, um, then Democrats would need to flip a Republican seat just to maintain 50-50. And that, that keeps the majority in their hands, um, but they can't lose any other seat. So their margin for error um, is is narrowing. Um, uh, it's a tall task. Um so Democrats had some hopes of flipping Republican seats, but like I said, th- those chances are shrinking. Polls in North Carolina and Wisconsin, which are Republican, current Republican seats, um, show consistent Republican leads, small, um, but those leads are probably small but growing. Uh, in Ohio, the race is close between, it's an open seat yeah. between uh, Republican J.D. Vance and Democrat uh, Tim Ryan. And it's getting nasty. I saw those it, guys. It, yeah, debate. I mean, well, you know, it, it's debate season, and, and yep. you know, de- and in a close race, a debate is going to be uh, contentious and nasty. Um, yep. But in Ohio, you also have a governor's race, and the incumbent governor Mike DeWine, he's got a very large lead. He, he's going to win probably in the fifteen point range, um, give or take. Um, and that could that that I think that helps JD Vance, um, mm-hmm. the Republican. Kind of similar to Georgia, um, by the way, that, that's where uh, Democrats, uh, excuse me, that, which is where Democrats, one more time, that's where Republicans want to flip a seat. I was talking about Ohio, where going the other way, Senator Warnock, again, has a small lead, uh, but there you have a, a Republican governor who's likely to win, maybe not as much as DeWine in Ohio, but kind of five to 10 points. And that's got to help the Republican Herschel Walker. Mm. Um, and, and furthermore, in Georgia, um, you know, it's getting a little bit further off the, the original point I was trying to make, but the recent scandal around, uh, surrounding Herschel Walker, it doesn't appear to be making a dent, um, which yeah. could be a warning sign for, for Democrats in Georgia. Um, again, on, on the flip side, um, in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, he's been trailing John Fetterman. Um, and I was talking about where governors at the top of the ticket have helped Republicans in Ohio and Georgia uh, Pennsylvania could be the other side of that coin where um, this, the, the Republican candidate for governor could lose pretty badly, uh, you know, upwards of 10 points. Um, and that that could be a drag on Dr. Oz. So 
at this point, you got to think Pennsylvania is the Democrats' best and maybe only hope um, to flip a seat. We should probably get Herschel Walker on the podcast so this way we could talk about football and politics and sort of stay on brand. Does he talk about weather? (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, one more point, point, Brian, on the Senate, Uh, and I don't want to get too wonky, but should the Senate flip, that means we'd have a really, um, you know, a six or seven week lame duck session. Uh, What does that mean? And what do you think happens in that short period of time before the new Congress would be sworn in in January? So let me set the stage for a second. So when when Congress comes back from the lame duck session, they have a handful of must do pieces of legislation. They have to reauthorize a spending bill. Um, They have to pass the National Defense Authorization Act. Those are absolutely must do. Um, Otherwise, either the the government shuts down or we don't have a a defense policy um, going into the new year. Um, Also important, but not as critical is a tax extenders bill. Um, But that bill would have several items uh, in it of uh, tax on tax policy of interest to the business community. Um, and then there are other items that can get attached to those bills that are of interest uh, to the firm and our clients. Uh, those would include uh, a, a banking bill to, uh, regarding payments, uh, the Safe Banking Act, which is how banks uh, service the, the cannabis industry. Um, you know, a couple of other odds and ends out there, uh, the SECURE Act, which is a, a, a big deal uh, to us. Um, so if the Senate flips, then the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, um, knowing that he's not going to control the schedule next year and won't have the opportunity to, to confirm as many uh, judicial nominations from the White House, I think he kind of pivots Um, and schedules as many uh, confirmation votes as possible. But those take time and it starts to crowd out the rest of the schedule. So you start to wonder what in that tax extenders bill, you know, does it does it make the cut? Does it get punted to next year? Um, Republicans are going to want to clear the deck so they can start with as fresh a slate as they can. But the, the, the scheduling and the content for the lame duck session uh, becomes a little bit more unpredictable. Now, um, a lot of mail-in voting has started in a lot of states, which I think, as we've talked about before, it kind of reduces the odds of some sort of October surprise in a lot of these elections. So aside from an October surprise that could change the course of an, an election, are there any surprises, do you think, in how things may turn out that we should be watching? Any races that where you could see a major um, upset or something we're not expecting? Yes. You know, so I just said that, you know, the scenarios were shrinking, but, you know, that can be wrong. Um, maybe, maybe you know, going back to my first point about the uh, a red wave, maybe it's building even more than I think. Um, and that could bring in more Republicans than, than we're expecting. That, that's certainly possible. Um, I wouldn't call Arizona a surprise. Republicans have a realistic shot there. Um, but I don't think that race has received as much national media attention. So maybe you put it in the, the surprise bucket. Um, immigration could be an issue there, um, which would hurt Democratic chances of keeping the seat. Um, uh, then there are you know, a couple of other races that are in the Democratic column that, uh, that may be in play all of a sudden. Um, Colorado, state of Washington, both have been long shots. 
Um, but maybe a red wave sweeps Republican candidates across as well. Again, I think those are long shots, but they're worth watching. Um, and then there are kind of four races, some of them, you know, because of the national mood, some of them just the quirks of, of particular items, idiosyncrasies in the individual states that kind of catch my eye, Iowa. Um, this past weekend, there was a poll out from the Des Moines Register, which is a very respected poll. Um, you know, people scoff at polls. You don't scoff at the Seltzer Des Moines Register poll. They've got a very strong track record. Um, incumbent Republican Senator Chuck Grassley was only up by three points, which I think just wow. stunned a lot of people. Um, he's so, been there forever. Yes. And, and, and that just that, that might not be a national mood. That might be, you know, Iowans decide, you know, reflecting a, a desire for a fresh face. Um, Connecticut um, incumbent Democrat uh, Richard Blumenthal was only up by five. And another one who's been there forever. He's been there a long time. Um, and it's a Democratic stronghold. Um, yep. uh, and then I, I'll, the, the next two are really interesting um, because it just quirks in the state. Um, Utah, Senator Mike Lee, Republican, um, facing an independent challenge from a former Republican, Evan McMullen. And I think Lee's going to win there, but polling has suggested it could be a close race. And if that somehow that word a flip to a, in, you know, right of center, um, independent, how that changes the dynamic of, of the Senate next year. I don't think anybody knows. Um, and then finally, Alaska. Um, Alaska is one of a few states that has what we refer to as ranked choice voting. It's a growing trend. It's, it's becoming more popular. And um, basically, if the winner doesn't clear 50 percent, then the lower ranked candidates um, are eliminated and their votes go to the remaining candidates based on who voters picked as their second, third, fourth choices. And you go through this process of elimination of the lower tiered candidates. Um, so there's a Trump backed candidate who is running against Murkowski, who's a Republican um, that could siphon away votes. Um, uh, so, you know, if Murkowski doesn't win outright, then the, the ranked choice voting system could lead to the Trump back candidate or the Democratic candidate winning. Um, and look, Murkowski can still win. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that she's not that she has no choice, but it certainly gets complicated and less predictable. And since we're talking about less predictable and, and a process that lasts a long time, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Georgia, uh, which I had mentioned earlier, but. Just remember, there's a runoff there for if, if uh, the, the leading candidate doesn't clear 50. So we could certainly get to December and not know where the majority of the Senate lies. Wow. Well, you know, um, we still have a few weeks to Election Day, although we did say there is some early voting that started. But we always talk about how people tend to vote with their pocketbooks. So the stock market has stabilized, it seems, at least for the past few days. So I would assume that's a benefit for the Democrats. Uh, but gas prices seem to be kind of inching up once again. Um, is there anything you think the Democrats can really do now to counter this resurgence that you talk about um, that we're seeing with Republicans? Yeah. So, I mean, there's talk about another release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR. Um, so that's possible. Um and there's going to be a lag from that. So gas prices at the pump don't immediately react to a, a release. Mm -hmm. um, 
You know, there's been some chatter in Washington about other um, economic moves, um, cutting uh, the mortgage insurance insurance premium on FHA loans um, uh, to help uh, uh, lower income and first time home buyers. But the lag for that wouldn't be felt for months. So that doesn't that doesn't happen overnight. So there's a limited impact um, from that move to the election. Um, and it's such a small group of people. I, I question how much political impact it has anyway. Um, um, you know, look, they they announced the administration announced the student loan debt relief program a couple of weeks ago. It's going live as of, I think, today. Um, but even that only had a limited uh, benefit. Um, you know, we've been talking about polling. Um, uh, Harvard Harris came out with a poll. Um, very deep, interesting data on voter preferences, where they are, not just the generic ballot, but what their priorities are. And voters are focused on other issues, inflation and the economy. The, the student loan issue um, was a low priority. So I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think these items and these moves are moving the needle for um, the administration and Democrats. So if I'm, if, if you're right, Brian, if I'm hearing you correctly, it does look like we could potentially have some political gridlock with the balance of power split. The old, you know, the old theory was that the markets love that. Um, I know you've said that you don't necessarily put as much um, credit into that as as maybe people used to. But is that what we're looking at? Are we looking at gridlock on the horizon? So it's not that I don't put as much stock into it. I think people overstate the significance of it. So I think markets outperform. We did this work a couple of years ago. Markets do outperform in years of divided government versus unified government. The, the point that I make is that the difference isn't dramatic. It's a couple of percentage points. And so, yes, there's an overperformance, but maybe not as much as people might hope for, think there is. So um, that, so that on, on the gridlock and, and markets loving it. Um, there are going to be very few consequential bills um, that are going to come out of Congress in the upcoming cycle. Um, Republicans, even if they flip the Senate, they're still not going to have 60 votes and you need 60 to um, to pass legislation in the Senate. Um, 50 on personnel nominations, still 60 on on legislation. Um, so, you know, in order to get to 60, you, you have to you know, water it down so much that the bill becomes inconsequential um, or at least less consequential. So uh, bills that pass, they're going to be of either no consequence or just must pass pieces of legislation like the annual spending bills, raising the debt ceiling. Um, and there's going to be pressure, especially in the House, from a block of conservatives that want changes on spending. They want a lot lower spending um, uh, there will be more, uh, more moderate Republicans that um, are not as um, uh, contentious with uh, and hostile towards the White House. That they want more cooperation. Getting agreements on some of the on these bills uh, is going to be tougher. And so, you know, I, I don't think I don't the I don't think the government's going to shut. Certainly, the government's not going to shut down in December. Um, but later next into next year, if you if we go into a series of short-term spending bills, at some time there could be a mistake, and people just misread the political dynamic, and you do get a a, a temporary government shutdown. 
Um, and the same dynamic with the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling probably has to be raised middle to maybe now second half, uh, according to some estimates I've seen of next year. And look, the, the government's not going to default on its debt, but Republicans are going to see the debt ceiling as an opportunity to get concessions from the administration on government spending. Um, the administration is not going to go along with it. Um, and knowing that they have more leverage since the debt ceiling has to be raised. Um, and so I, I think we could see kind of a repeat of 2011 uh, of the showdown of the debt ceiling. And there's just, you know, just a lot more market volatility. So, yeah, I mean, gridlock, you know, can be positive for markets, but there's going to be, there's likely to be increased volatility surrounding um, the spending bills and the debt ceiling. Yeah. Well, this, this, you know, it's interesting. We mentioned Barry Bannister, our chief equity strategist, when we were talking about Blueprint earlier. He, he has a fascinating slide in his, um, in his latest uh, analysis and outlook. It's not necessarily related to the election per se, but you talk about increased volatility in November. Barry went back and looked at 60 years of market returns and basically found that every year, almost the entire return on the market is generated in the six months, November through April. That's in 60 years, almost 100% of the market's gains come within those six months and we're headed for those six months. So while we may have more volatility, that's a bright spot for investors, at least if you believe in history. What's the old saying, you know, uh, sell a man, go away. And that yep. kind of corresponds with the April, uh, the April um, bracket that, uh, that Barry has in, in that piece. Yep. But of course, you know, history doesn't always repeat itself. So we're not, it's not a guarantee, but 60 years of research shows that. So anyway, that's a little bit of a bright spot for November. Well, Brian, I think that's uh, all the time we have for this sort of extended edition. I think this may have been our longest one of uh, the Potomac Perspective podcast. We've got by my calendar, at least one more before the election. So we can get your latest thoughts before that. Yep. And of course, don't forget, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms, and we'll talk to everybody next time. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you, Neil.